episode 73 of No Guitar is Safe, featuring the stupendously inspiring Scott Teruli, is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. No Guitar is Safe. What's up, people? We're playing a little Temptations. Papa was a Rolling Stone because Scott Teruli is in the house. And that's one of the many bands that he played with, Temptations. And there's a new rule on No Guitar Safe podcast. Only lefties. Because last, last episode we had Elliot Easton from the Cars, you know. And now suddenly two south paws in a row. Awesome. And I'm really happy to be here. I'm in Scott's house in Boston tonight. Because tonight I have a gig with Jefferson Starship just down the street. Yeah. I'm about to head to soundcheck, but I had to stop over here and get a guitar lesson. Oh, please. Let's hear a little bit more of that funk, though. Folks, we're going to get into some really awesome, deep discussions of how Scott approaches improvisation and some really killer tips on note choice, etc. And I'm surrounded by all these left-handed guitars. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my first question is, where the heck did you get all these cool left-handed pedals in front of you? It, it, that's a secret. Only lefties <laughs> know the answer to that. That's all. You got a lefty Strymon, a couple of them, both, I got two both lefty, flavors. They, have Strymon, they, they make these uh, the blue sky in lefty. <laughs> um, thank you, Strymon. Uh, sorry about the lefty joke. Somebody, someone said that online over the Elliot Easton stuff with his pedals. Like, where did he get all those left-handed pedals? Uh, Elliot, Elliot's a great Boston guy. Oh, he sure is. And we are here, man. And this is such a killer guitar attic. You have studio here with all this stuff. You're Thank plugged you. into your little Walter amp. Yes, my little Walter uh, 50 head. It's built by this guy, Phil Bradbury. He, he builds amps for like um, Brent Mason. The little Walter amp, this 50 had Brent Mason, Vince Gill, uh, those guys. Vince Gill's got the same amp on the Eagles tour right now, but Phil's an amazing, what a sweet guy. And this is a, it's, it's, it's basically after the old Leo Fender tradition. I think his vision was kind of like a Harvard amp that doesn't break up. So it's very woody sounding. It takes pedals. I mean, it's, it's where I bring everywhere. Like, this is what I'm using 
for most of my gigs, although I have a lot of great amps. I bet that thing probably breaks up if you turn it up all the way. I I do that, yes. With humbuckers, if I turn it up all the way, it does start to growl. But he has a 22, which like breaks up like a tweed amp. So as you turn it up halfway. And- now, I'm not afraid. Let's turn it up for a second. You're, you're holding this awesome uh, Music Man silhouette. Lefty, of course, and uh, Seymour Duncan in the bridge. All Duncans, actually. Yeah, this is my main guitar. It's uh, I call it the Cranberry Kid because it's kind of cranberry colored. Um, this it's just a it's a great guitar. Like this, the neck is amazing. I love how the Duncan sounded. I love how the guitar feels. So I end up using this on ninety percent of anything I do. Well, awesome. I'm gonna turn down the XY mic here on the Zoom recorder. Notice the little product plug there. They've been so great to us. Let's make those power tubes suffer. Let's hear that. <laughs> See, it's still clean. So you see, it's, it's still clean, even though it's cranked all the way up. With humbuckers, it's, it gets a little fuzzy, but that's right. this thing this that you have clean headroom for. So like it's like playing an old tweed amp, um, but it doesn't break up. But I, I yeah, I can crank it up with, with single coils, and um, if I need that clean, but it's very woody and dark. Yeah, that's a killer, quote-unquote, clean tone. Just a little bit pushed and dirty and cut. Yeah, so I also use, um, like, this is my traditional Fender self, but then I'll use, like, orange for, like, the British thing, the compressed British thing. I mean, the new, yeah, I got, like, an OR-15 right here, but they're, they're, like, I think if you want a British amp that's new made, they're, they're my favorite. Yeah, I'm looking at a great orange head right there, the OR-15, and then you got a Fender Bandmaster here, Silver Face, a beautiful-looking <laughs> old Marshall JMP. Is that, like... Looks like original. It's a 78, yeah. 78, that's what I'm talking about. I know that Fender Super is original right there, Blackface. 64. Dude. Yeah. yeah. So you got the whole Noah's Ark full of tone up here, <laughs> including an old tweed Fender. Or is it? Yeah, that's a, well, that's a custom shop, but I do, behind yeah. you, under the case, I have a 55 basement tweed. Half, dude, why did you start playing guitar? What? When was it and why was it? That's a great question. I always love the story. Uh, there's two things that got me playing guitar. Well, I had music in my family. My uncle was a drummer, so he had like these things called gigs where he would come <laughs> home late. And, um, and he played drums. But I think Blue Oyster Cole had a song called Burning For You on the radio. Sure. And that guitar intro... guitars was like that every time it came on the radio i didn't want to like if my mom parked somewhere and said like oh we're gonna go into like the grocery store i'd say no keep the radio on like the song's on so i bought the album um and i just really loved music i grew up listening to the beatles and george harrison and everything but then they came out with this live album called extraterrestrial live and there's a song on extraterrestrial live called uh veteran of the psychic wars buck dharma's solo on that i used to like like I didn't play guitar yet but like it was this it unfolded and it was like ominous and it was huge and I never felt so much emotion like so I used to like drop the needle back and at the beginning of the solo
to this day, it's one of my favorite rock solos, and I've, you know, uh, I've met Buck, and I'm, I'm kind of friends with him now, but um, he's the sweetest guy, and I just, I tell him, I'm like, man, that solo, like, just the way he plays. The other side of it was, around the same time, Ario Speedwagon's High Infidelity came out. And there was a videotape called Live Infidelity, which was their show at McNichols Arena. And I remember Gary Retrath having this like 50, I didn't know it was a 58 Les Paul, but it was the coolest right. looking guitar I ever saw. And I made my mom rent it until she says, well, why don't you just buy it? Mow lawns, go ask people. So I remember working for like two weeks to, I think VHS was like 28 bucks back then, which was insane. Oh, I thought you meant a guitar like that. So you're, you're working to get the videotape. I'm working to get the videotape and I wore it out because I he, his sound was so, it was just that, Les Paul through that amp, through, through the Marshall JMP. He was great. And man, and um, I never got to meet him to thank him. But um, he really inspired me to, I wanted a Les Paul. It looks so cool. So Buck Darm, I, I have, you know, there's some people that I've been lucky to say, you really changed my life with your music. Not, not so much like, dude, you shred. So, right. you know, and I think it's more touching that it's like that veteran of the psychic war. So to this day, I listen to it. Like sometimes I just pulled it up the other night and like they, they have the video of it on YouTube. And I'm like, wow. Like, and he says he improvised that. Like what? That's just a moment caught. <laughs> they, have a, they have a video of the actual performance that you were listening to as a kid. Yeah, from Extraterrestrial Live. They, they actually have a, a film. They filmed that show, and um, but that's great. Yeah, and you'll never. He's he just said, you know, oh yeah, that was kind of a cool one. I'm like, they changed my life, man. That's why mm. I play guitar, Buck. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to play some double bills with him and Jefferson Starship, and meet him and take pictures with him and his uh, Swiss cheese guitar. Swiss so cheese cool. guitar. Isn't he a sweetheart? He's oh, like, he's so cool, man. Yeah, he's so and, chill and like he's so nice that he puts up with my fanboyness. Yeah, like I'm such a fanboy. And like, he's also got a great guitar player friend in the band, Rich Richie. Casta. You know Richie? Yeah, Richie Castellano. Yeah, he's he's a New York guy, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, he's a, he, he's a great player. Now, when did you first pick up a guitar? Um, I was twelve, actually. Yeah, yeah a, a neighbor gave a this kid when I was young used to play acoustic guitar all the time, like really loud and sing, and it was just you know all summer you hear him. And like one day, he got a new guitar, and I don't think I ever met the guy, but he, you know I ended up with his guitar, holding it this way, left the upside down. Right. Um. If you don't mind, I like to ask left-handed players because you are clearly a minority amongst guitar players. Did anyone try to pressure you to play the other way with your strong hand on the neck and and your non-dominant hand picking? And how That's, did you get out of that? Or do you I, recommend getting out of that? Or what's your advice? Well, a few things to say about it. So a lot of people will say, hey, I'm a lefty, but I play righty. So that, you know, that's possible. But my story was I really wanted to play guitar they kept the, the teacher kept like telling me to hold it the you know right-handed and i could barely hold it like to this day if you gave me your guitar and i try to play it right-handed it would probably fall out of my hand i'm like so after a month like you know you paid for the lessons for a month right and after a month they pulled my mom aside and they said you know we're not sure this is for him right interesting and so that was almost the end of my career right there and i remember crying like i was like well, I was 12 year old crying. Yeah. And my mom's like, you know, maybe we should do something else. And so I begged them to let me play it the other way. And so they rolled their eyes, they restrung the guitar. And then all of a sudden I started making progress. And you had to get a new nut put in or 
I don't remember what they did. Right. Okay. I don't remember. Like, I think they probably just restrung it saying he sucks or mm-hmm. whatever. And, um, but if it wasn't for me crying about it, if I just listened to them, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here today. I don't know what I'd be doing in accounting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What am I interested in? <laughs> Well, I'm glad the guitar pulled you where it pulled you. Let's uh, get into some of the stuff that you do on the guitar. I, man, there's so much to tap into. Let's warm up. Okay. <laughs> nice. Do you ever play a put it where you want it? I'm trying to think. Yeah, what key? I don't know. That's cool. trying to steal Jimmy Herring. All right, bridge. 
gonna play bass and see what voicings you play. those chords you just played yeah so gosh man you mentioned that you've kind of started off with a rock background what were some of the things that pushed you that really taught you breakthrough moments into getting into some of those outside sounds that are really not from classic rock like i like to call them illegal chords or out you know i'm always fascinated fascinated with people's quote-unquote outside approaches what were some big moments for you so yeah i did come from a rock background you know, in high school, I was listening to Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, White Snake, Rat, and the guitars were you know are amazing on those records, and still to this day. Um, as far as the out stuff, I was a rock player, and I was hearing some great players around Boston, and I joke that like the one guy's Bruce Bartlett, who I ended up studying with in my early twenties, and I would go to see him play, and he was like this rock guy playing notes that weren't on my guitar. So, um, I guess, you know, to, to be honest, my approach to like what people call out, um, really all I'm doing is on any given chord, I'm deciding how that chord functions. So in other words, that was an F, right? So if you could just, it's what I do, I could teach anybody in two seconds. So it's (laughs) basically it's an F, but is that the two chord in E flat major that would make it F Dorian? Is it the four chord in in um melodic minor well that would make it a seven flat five chord um and what i do is i play a lot of more angular i guess i try like the arpeggios superimposing that sound so let's just make it easy if i have an e i guess and um so e minor is cool e minor blues is great all day it's i love it's one of my favorites but if i do this now it's an e seven flat nine and I could use all the available arpeggios. 
Um, and then, so I really, yeah. the, the moment was like, you know, listening to McCoy Tyner's uh, Passion Dance solo on The Real McCoy, because it was an F vamp. And it was the most exciting thing I heard as a rock player. It's like the, the Elvin Jones was smashing his cymbals and it was rock and roll to me. But I found out it was an F vamp and he was playing all this stuff. And I thought there was changes and there wasn't. And um, Herbie Hancock's another one. So Inventions and Dimensions. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I did a lot of transcribing in my 20s and I, I, I'm not sure what they're up to, but I did learn the souls get a you know technique as far as like time you know herbie changed my time as far as you know people talk about chops like it being fast like shred mm -hmm. i i'm not good at that um but just like you know see that's even kind of tricky that's the beginning of some herbie solo but there's all these skips and there's all this uh stuff that technically i learned from herbie I think Herbie and McCoy were big ones for playing out. And I just figured yeah. if you've got chords, it's just it's up to you as the musician to how how does this function? So you can superimpose as long as you have intention. I think that's the big thing I tell people. Don't just play anything. Don't just go Yeah. Cuz if you don't have intention, the listener probably won't buy it. Yeah, they can tell. They can... Right. So um and sometimes like if I play something and I'm like, oh, that was stupid. I, I didn't, I just moved my fingers there. I, I want to avoid that. I try to get better at that. You know, I remember uh, interviewing Robin Ford and, uh, Oh God. Yeah. He, well, he told this story about how he was playing in the miles band and they'd be jamming on E minor, just like you're saying. And they'd play these chords each night kind of, but he, they were kind of out. <laughs> and he finally asked the keyboard player. He's like, what's going on with those harmonies? I hear something going on, but I can't figure out what it, what it is. And it was a really simple, device was like a take a pentatonic scale e minor yeah but you just play it on you play it all on one string the second string starting up here at the 17th fret right yeah and just go down the second string and then on each of these notes you know this one you'd be like just the most bonehead little thing but it sounds so cool i know I, i'm just guilty of doing some of that in our opening jam <laughs> first jam i love that shit so yeah well basically you know if you think about voice leading this is too so if i have an e minor like 11 yeah. chord so yeah it's completely legal to move something so if i do this so what i did yeah. is i just moved i kept the yeah the top note the same so but that works because it's voice led um, but then you have to kind of commit to it and know how to respond to it. But yeah, yeah. I, the same. That that's so cool. I've always wanted to talk to Robin yeah. Ford. I saw a clinic he did once, and somebody's like, "How do you play out?" He goes, "I don't play out." He goes, "Flat yeah. nine. That's part of the chord." He's I right. Know, it's though. the dumbest question that I ask. I feel like, "How do you play out?" But it's like, but yeah, it's true. It's like, well, you know, actually, the, the answer to that question used to frustrate me. I used to ask these guys like, "How how are you playing out?" And they used to go play, learn to play in, right? So, yeah. and I and I hated that answer. So if we have like a Two five one, right? So that's like a, just playing a two five one, but right, but but if you think about it, the stuff that I was doing was kind of harmonic. So if I could play changes, if we have a C seven, and I know harmonic rules, I could do something like okay, I, I can uh, get to the as long as I arrive at the C seven. So if I could go a half step above, here's a trick. So. Uh, D flat major seven sharp eleven. Well, that leads. You can play that above any chord, and then what's a five away from that? A flat. So if I if I really kind of could you just play a C note? Yeah, sure. So 
So let me do that better, sorry. Right? So what I did is I just went... So I outlined those arpeggios. Yeah. So I'm really playing inside of a chord. I'm superimposing a, a chord progression over that C. So show me another one. Are you two five one over like a static C note? If someone's like, yeah, like um. So here, well, the first one I did was uh, A flat. I don't know D yeah. flat to C. Um, what's one I got from Herbie? Oh, this is a cool lick. <laughs> so mean, oh yeah, go ahead. So. There's a symmetrical diminished scale, but it's it's yeah. all major or minor triads in it. He has this lick over C. It's on this album, Inventions Dimensions. I'll do it slowly because I don't think I have the chops to do it up. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically. That's so, beautiful. Yeah, and so it's. Have you sat down and learned that off the record or something? or? I transcribed that whole album. I transcribed his album quartet, every solo. In my 20s, I really, I spent like eight, 10 hours a day. I didn't really have a social life. <laughs> Hardcore, man. But I love it. I know. And um, I just, like, I'm a huge Herbie Hancock fan. He's like, he's taught me courage. Like, yeah. you know, like you, when you learn theory, they say, yeah. they say things like, oh, this is an avoid note. Don't play this. And then like, but Herbie Hancock did, yeah. you know, and I don't know, like you try to analyze the solos. I don't know why they did half the stuff, but I know like, well, this, um, so like play that C7. I don't know why. So if I play an E flat seven sus four, that gets like altered notes. So I like the sound of a sus yeah. four. If I, I gotta come yeah. back and resolve it. So, I just took these things and I'm like, I know I'm not sure why he does it, but it sounds good, so I'll borrow it. And eventually, I forgot it all, and you know, I kind of stretch for things that I hear. Yeah, you know. So like, now go back um, to that one with the the ascending major oh, triads from Herbie. Oh, the Herbie, yeah. This one. Tell tell us what's going on in that. Now, what groove should I play underneath that? Oh God, I don't know just if I can play like some a, time. So like. Yeah, let's do it slower than the real. <laughs> yeah, some so people can hear. Right, so he he, he like ends up in the C. Right. So let me, uh, something like that. And you took that way up the neck too. Well, it, he oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm copying out. You're right. So uh, the lick actually goes. Is there a way to explain the in triads or something what's happening there? Yeah, so he's... I mean, I don't want to speak for Herbie, but from right. what I got from it... So that's an E flat, and then uh, E flat minor, and then he goes up by minor thirds. with the same thing? The same Maybe. thing, and it, it, it works because those are triads in the symmetrical diminished scale. So it would be... Oh, so... Uh, I'm just curious. So... So it's so, this. this so you're starting with a minor triad. You can think of it as a C minor seven if you want. Right. Oh, actually, think of it as yeah. C, minor. C minor. I'm sorry. C minor. And then with E flat minor. And then uh, so G flat minor seven. And then A minor seven. Hey, that's so cool. And then you just go up by minor thirds. And then he changes it here. Is an F sharp triad. Oh, wow. He's back in C minor. 
That's awesome. Now, do you ever get into just straight up like bonehead taking a pentatonic scale, moving it over, and because sometimes it just sounds so cool to just take oh. a pattern you know and just. I slide it over and slide it back. Like I, sh I played that one lick earlier that Jimmy Herring's toe showed me. Well, Jimmy Herring's amazing. It's just, but it's just a pentatonic. It's a pentatonic, right? Yeah. And then up a half step. B flat pentatonic, A pentatonic. But it here's the thing. So cool. It's not bonehead because if you think about <laughs> it, that half step yeah. above. Um, so play, play the first part of it. Wait. Yeah, like. Now, so you're yeah. playing all the notes in, yeah. uh, these are all legal notes. You've got a, the third, the flat yeah. nine, the sharp five. Right. So it's kind of an altered pentatonic. It's, it's hidden cool money notes from the altered scale. That's what you're saying. Yeah, totally. And like, I encourage people to play anything they say, think sounds good. Like, um, sometimes people, like live, I'll, like on shows, and especially with the trio, I love playing with trio because I get to dictate the harmony. Yeah. And sometimes people go like, "Well, show me something. What are you doing?" I don't always know, but I encourage people to like take that risk of take a pentatonic mm. scale and then grab a note that's not in it, and you may hate it or you may like it for later. So I don't know. I don't know. I can even like do it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> so even that, I like that. Yeah. So just, I encourage people like grab notes that you wouldn't nab normally grab. And um, I think a big part of that is like not being afraid to, I'm not afraid yeah. to fall on my face and I do it all the time. <laughs> Cause I have like, we all as guitarists have stuff that we know works. So we could go to a gig and like, you know, if it's a blues, well uh, we could play blues, but I like to take the risk, you know? Um, and it's a lot of the jazz pianists like okay. Keith Jarrett, I mean, he blows my mind. He'll play like 30 courses of a blues and not repeat himself and keep an idea going. I mean, he's a genius. So I strive for these things now. And um, it's, I don't know how you feel, but I think when I'm on a gig, it's like I could play this and be accepted, right? So like Robin Ford's a great guitar player. Early on, I, I shed a lot of his souls and I would go to clubs and I would play Robin Ford licks and people would think I sounded great, but it wasn't me, it was it was robin or eric yeah. johnson or you know they were like eric johnson like he's a he's an artist in himself so he that's a lot of guts like i've never met him but i would say man you have so much courage to go down this road and sound like it would have been easy for him to like buy cream records and sound like that right yeah but so i'm tr i'm on that journey where i really i hope i have an identifiable sound in my writing and my playing and i, I every day i think about it well, let's listen to one of your tracks because I love your tracks, man. Oh, thanks, man. Like the album that I have is Anytime, Anywhere. Correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. This, well, this last one I did <laughs> under my yeah. own name. thing i noticed about it is you really embrace keyboard players i don't know if it's the same keyboard player throughout but i mean a lot of guitar players let's face it when they're doing their solo records they're not given a huge amount of space to keyboards but you seem to really thrive with the harmony that a great keyboard player can bring That's Dennis Hughes. He's a 
longtime friend of mine. He's the only keyboardist that's really ever played in my group. I, I usually play trio, but I play we play well together. And I love how he solos on my tunes. It's so different than I solo on them. So like his sounds and his ideas, I, I guess for me, I, I should eventually do a trio record. I just like his approach and um, he's the kindest guy and he's like an amazing musician. So he's been on all three of my albums and um, I just love what he does on it. I like the keyboards as a texture. ever is Weather Report, which to me is like the Led Zeppelin of jazz. Oh, good one. And with the, uh, the greatest of compliments, I would say that Traffic, your tune Traffic, kind of reminds me a little bit of kind of <laughs> Weather is, Report. Okay, this is hysterical. Dennis, <laughs> the keyboardist, wrote Traffic. It's the, So yeah. <laughs> we have this joke. So like I've given the album to some of my heroes, um, and they all say, man, Traffic, that's my favorite tune. <laughs> and... Uh, and then I feel bad because I gotta be like, oh man, that's the one I didn't write. Um, but like, I agree. That's why I, I asked for it to be on the album if Dennis would mind, because I really dug the tune so much. It's an incredible skill to be able to choose good songs that you didn't write. So good on you. <laughs> thank you. That's important chops to have. But you know, and I don't have an, you know, it was also a thank you to him because he, yeah. he did a lot of my gigs for no money for over the years. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, he would show up with his keyboard, set it up, and we'd have a blast playing, but then like, sorry, man, I, here's 20 bucks for gas. So, um, you know, I, I really wanted him to contribute something but like that was it's a great tune so tell us what's going on in the beginning of this tune uh in traffic yeah or just tell us what's going on with this tune something so um when we were in the studio um i'm obsessed with sting's soul cages album i'm like a pretty big sting fan right and um so is dennis and i said like can like the intro that you're playing can we make that sound like like it's a sting record or something and actually i think it kind of does and i get that comment but um i play the melody on it Actually, that's one of the tunes. Some of the tunes are completely live on this record, and this is one that we did overdubs where I, I did like you hear me doing like uh, like this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, with chorus and um, and then some like lush chords. So um, I had fun and like layering stuff. I do like producing like layering like it's an orchestra so that's you know I had a lot of fun. We we play that tune. Well, we haven't played it in a while, but. Um, it's usually a you know people like it you know I, I think a lot of well what you said a lot of like um, people that are into like weather report and stuff 
Uh, somebody said it's kind of reminded them of Jean-Luc Ponty, which was interesting. But yeah, it's right, kind right. of a throwback to that vibe. And I like the the solo section is it's just ascending seventh chords. The way it's yeah. done is with that groove is kind of like a 70s, you know, like almost like what you hear on a um, Larry Carlton record. So um, I just, uh, Dennis is a great writer and a great player. So I'm glad that's on the album. Well, it's very cool. And I, I think kind of, in a sense, one of the coolest effect, you want to add some cool effects to your guitar? Get a keyboard player. You want to make your guitar sound good? Get some, someone playing a nice pad behind your single note. You just I go, love it. <laughs> and it'll sound transformed by a great keyboard player behind you. So I, I applaud that. There's so much other just kick-ass stuff on here. Like, of course the album has this serious guitar moments like Shade Dance. Oh, thank shade you. Shade Dance. Like, I mean, that thing just comes out swinging, funky. I meant swinging like in a boxing sense, but it actually kind of has like a swung 16th kind of feel to it. Yeah. I didn't know that was going to be like, um, people seem to like that tune. And um, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's always in the set. Like when I play out with a trio, that's always in the set. That crushes, man. And then Awake is something that's very cool because it has like the funky sound, but it's got the more modern... Uh, colors of the harmony right at the top what what are you playing up there oh god don't <laughs> so um god you know i was trying to, i failed miserably but um i'm big into how russell ferrante from the yellow jackets plays chords sure and um you know as much as i i know from Once like again listening you to, and these keyboard players okay go ahead i, I want to be a, I, 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 if i could be bill evans the pianist i would <laughs> but nobody can nice. um but that started off because i was you know he he does like a lot of hybrid tries i don't want to speak for him i've met him a few yeah. times super sweet guy but the stuff that i observe it's like wow how can i do something like this on guitar so what i did is i just wrote the top note of the melody um and then I just harmonized each thing by itself because if the melody fits, you could put anything for harmony under. It doesn't have to, it, it's, you know, if you have the, like one note, this is kind of a cool thing I do. So I have an A on top, I could play an A major. Uh, I could play uh, A flat seven flat nine. I could play, I don't know, uh, B flat major seven sharp 11. So like basically, it. it's it's called a common tone. Sure. So you could you could build a chord progression just from a common yeah. tone, okay. and it's legal. I was gonna say you could play one note samba. That's a <laughs> that's a great example. It's yeah. So keep going. So yeah. So um, basically, what I did is a. Uh... Oops. Do I remember? So like that's. You know, these aren't like deep chords or anything, but what I did was I started saying what makes sense to come next, and I, I kind of hunt and peck sometimes. So like here, I just like the sound of that. And then this was the next note. And then I get yeah. the same note. Um, and so I kind of built it like that, and it, it didn't come out anything. It was kind of an exercise for me to see if I could make something chordally interesting. And then Mike Cassano, the drummer, was like, that would sound cool the breakbeat because I couldn't figure out a groove for that yeah I love that op opening yeah he's killing he's so great and I was like I like this but I don't like it doesn't work with a funk groove it doesn't work with this and he's like let's try a breakbeat and I was like that's it so thanks Mike <laughs> nice. 
nice room sound on there too. Where did you record the drums or the whole thing? Um, that was at uh, a, a place in Newburyport, Mass. It's up north in Mass. Um, Tom Eaton is the engineer, and he's a good friend of mine. Um, and he gets like he has a studio set up an hour yeah. in an hour, and he gets like m- whatever mics he puts on or however he does it. It sounds like my amp, which you know doesn't always yeah. happen when you're in the studio. Yeah. And um, so that was tracked. Yeah, he, I mean, I don't know. I'm not an engineer, yeah. but Tom Eaton, a Universal yeah. Noise, is the man. If if anybody's on the East Coast, you and he like he goes up. He, you know, I've done stuff with him, and he's the one that tracked uh, the Jeff Foster record with Nile Rodgers, and you know, he's the one that tracks. Like he's really? such a so, great engineer producer. That might be a good time for a segue, my brother, because you played with one. You played with my first guitar hero. I don't know if you know that was, but. Uh, I played acoustic guitar in fourth and fifth grade, but then my friend, he was like a grade older than me, and he would always tell me what was number one. I was like, what's number one this week? And he's like, man, it's Freak Out. Oh, Freak Out. <laughs> nice. So I bought the record without even listening to it because I liked the way it sounded when he sang it. And it's oh, Freak Out. <laughs> And that was my first electric guitar hero. And still to this day, I was proud to interview him once at his office in New York City. Just, you know. No kidding. That's awesome. We didn't really play any guitar. It wasn't a podcast thing. It was before the podcast. But Okay. He's always, and you know, what a hero. And you got to play on a tune with him. And then I guess later you met him. and just... I just met him last week. So first, tell us about this tune. Oh, so um, Tom Eaton, I'll, uh, he called me up and said, I'm doing this tune. We need you know I, I do a lot of sessions where i play texture guitar like you know a lot of ambient stuff or you know stuff yeah. i really love to do um and i said great you know who is it he goes this is guy jeff oster he's a flugelhorn player it's like really cool it's like kind of trippy pink floyd instrumental blah 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 and i said it sounds cool so i come down and you know as a session player you get um you get direction so usually to be clear they'll say like can you give me kind of a like an andy summers kind of thing or whatever and you do your best to do that and i joke that like that basically means that you can't afford that guy so on the poor <laughs> right. man so this tune is a mellow tune it's like bernard purdy's on drums and chuck rainey is on bass and it's this mellow tune and they're like can you do a nile rogers thing and i go like wait a minute how is and so i joked so i did like you know uh So what I did is this tune was like uh, I have to always play the bass line because that's one of the greatest bass lines it's of all time. Killer. Oh, it's so good. Bernard Edwards, rest in peace. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I joked so this tune. Was, I don't remember what key it's in. Maybe B minor. So it was like. So I joked and I went. I should, probably should not have delay on. That's that's very unprofessional. <laughs> no. So, and I, I did as a joke, they go, print that. So I did. So I played the Nile Rodgers part. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. the direction. And then I started adding slide, like to answer some of the melody notes and, you know, some haunting stuff, some tremolo, some rotary, just, you know, in the they tuck it back there it's a great story so you know Jeff ended up I don't know if he bumped into Nile Rogers or what happened but I get this text from Tom saying you know 
now Rogers is going to play on the track. So I figured they're going to erase what I did, and I would have been fine with that, you know? Now Rogers is a hero of mine, too. <laughs> they sent it to Nile, and um, I don't know what direction happened, but he ended up playing these really tasty blues licks on it. Like, he's got his strat, what do they call it, the hit maker, right? Yeah, yeah. In between, right? Yeah. But they kept all of my parts. So my joke is Nile Rodgers is on it, but I play the Nile Rodgers part. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, man. Way to go. Wait, so how do you bump into Nile Rodgers? Oh, sorry, I'm leaving part of the story. So <laughs> Berkeley had, um, uh, they were honoring Nile Rodgers at Berkeley College of Music. And they did this. They do this huge show at the end of the year. It's like Roseanne Cash was there, um, and they do a bunch of Roseanne Cash tunes. They do like they did like Let's Dance and the Chic tunes and Madonna and all the stuff that. So, but Nile was there, and I was just hanging out backstage. And he comes back, and I, I introduced myself, and um, he knew the record I was talking about. And I said, I was the other guitar player, and I don't know if you heard my parts, but you know, it's an honor to be on a record with you. And so yeah. he started talking about the track, like, oh, I know how he got the sound, the flugelhorn sound, and he was really a sweet guy. And I, you know, you know, we talked for a little bit. I didn't want to take up too much time because the students, like, you know, he was there to hang with the students, and sure. I didn't want to be a, too much of a fanboy. But um, oh, he's really cool. I would, I guess he, he tells stories. He tells stories about like talking to. Um, um, David Bowie, because they were like both avant-garde jazz freaks. I didn't know that. Yeah, like, they're just like talking about like I don't know what they're into. So, but I, it would have it would have been a cool long discussion. But yeah, I bumped into him. We talked about the record, and um, that that's the only track he was on. But I happen to be on that one too. So that's a great record. First of all, we got to give props to I think one of the most underrated musical instruments of all time, the flugelhorn. It's so beautiful. Isn't it a rich sounding? It's the mellowest, chillinest tone. There's no more chillin' tone than the flugelhorn. <sighs> and how he records it, like his <sighs> sound is yeah. rich. Funny little story too. When I just because I'm such a Nile Rodgers fanboy, when I got my so first I. Stratocaster when I was in the eighth grade, I got it home. I bought it used from an ad in the newspaper. Yeah. Got it home, and then I was like really psyched to have my first guitar with a whammy bar on it. Nice. And I'm looking around. I knew that didn't have a bar with it, but I figured I'd just buy one. And I'm like looking at the guitar, and there's no hole for a bar. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even know about the springs in the back or anything. I'm like, where the heck do you stick the bar in? And then I realized that this Stratocaster did not have a fucking tremolo system. It was a hardtail Fender Strat. It was like 12 years old. It was a... Wait, that's funny you say that. You got one? Yeah, Check so that I, out. I'm, I'm showing Yours is in better shape than mine. I'm showing Judah a 74 Strat I have, and it's got like, yeah, it's. it's I have that saying. one. My sunburst. Yeah, same saddles and everything. Those funny block metal saddles. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. So it's like, this is an amazing guitar. So that, that's weird. I didn't even know when I bought this. I didn't even know about that. So, I, know. I mean, this was, I just bought this a few years ago, and it showed up, yeah. and I'm like, huh. Well, then, and then I find out later that the Hitmaker. Nile Rodgers' famous Stratocaster is a hardtail. Is that right? Yeah, so it's like the universe was giving me my first Guitar Heroes strap, but I didn't know it until decades oh. later. And that has a lot to do with the sound. Yeah, yeah, man. Oh my God, that's love, so cool. <laughs> I love all this. I'm a, I'm a funk guitar fan for sure, and I love how funky you are. When, when you just play for two seconds, if you just when I hear you do something like... I can just tell you've played a billion gigs. Like, you're solid. Thank you, man. The rhythm playing is solid. Yeah, that's what I try to tell a lot of people. Um, like, a lot of the tours I got when I was in my early 20s were R&B tours. 
and I was coming from, you know, you remember, like, I was coming from the whole, like, you know, I've got this sweet tap, so I can do this Eddie Van Halen. Well, I can't do any of that anymore. But, like, <laughs> you know, and that would impress people. But, I, like, I was in this band. It was an R&B band, and I was on the road, and I didn't play a solo all tour. And I remember my first night, I, I don't know if I was 22, 23, but it was... You know, it was all the stuff of the time uh, and like the Philly soul stuff, which I'm a huge fan of. But I wasn't very funky back then. So I remember the first <laughs> the first gig I did, it was three guys that were these unreal singers. And um, it was the seediest clubs across the country. And I remember one time I was playing, trying to groove along, and, and one of them turned around and said, sit down. And I sat yeah. on my amp and like... And all I did was not sleep and like cop the stuff off the records. And... Um, yeah, I tell so many people, like, you know, it's great to learn lead stuff. And it's going to be competent and express yourself in that way. But um, being able to play texture and what's for the song, like, you know, listen to all Mo Motown records and learn it exactly, even if you think it's wrong. You know, even if you think yeah. that sounds stupid, like that's just because it like they had they didn't have good gear back then or, the, you know, it's it's like part of it. So um, I really dig like a lot of the singer songwriters I play with. It's all effects. And um, I don't really, I don't, I don't get solos, and I don't care. I mean, that's something else. That's for something else. So, so yeah. If I got like, who wouldn't want, you know, if like, well, didn't Greg Howe do the the Justin Timberlake tour? Yeah, yeah. He, well, yeah, it's a pro. It's like you know, he's burning, but at the same time, he can lay down a groove, and that to me is yeah. killer. I mean, he was go. funky. Yeah, he got a lot of those calls, I guess, because he did Michael Jackson beforehand. So, boom. That's right. And he's a, I mean, you know, like I say this a lot about a lot of players is, you know, okay, this guy shreds. That's great. But that's not like, you know, Satriani, when I was in high school, and I bought those records. I liked him for a different reason than I like him now. Because now I listen, I go, that guy's got unreal tone, unreal feel. His yeah. like intonation is killing. I mean, he's always in tune. I mean, he, that guy's a pro, you know, so yeah, like he's got it dialed. He's just a champion, and man. He spent years playing rhythm guitar. Yeah, I mean, so. you can tell. Like I but it's funny. I don't know if that happens to yeah. you, where you go back and listen to an album you you liked when you were sixteen, and you like it for different reasons. Oh, all the time. Yeah, I'll listen to a bend, and I'll just like lately, I can't remember what it was, but I heard the vibrato. Like I, it's like I remember I listened to that a million times when I was a kid, and I never heard the same. I didn't hear that, and now I hear it. That's what I miss from Hendrix. Like embarrassingly enough, I didn't start with Hendrix. He, Hendrix came later, but I, the albums did a lot for me emotionally. And then I would try to yeah. learn the stuff. But I, you know, whatever. But I would miss that. You know, yeah. I wouldn't get that. Like, I would miss all that stuff. But then later on, I was like, how did I miss that? Something like, and I always felt like, wow, I really am not with it because people my age used to like actually hear it like i remember what was the the band badlands with jakey e. lee so high wire what was it like i don't something like that um yeah there's this kid my age that was playing it and he had like the vibrato and i remember going oh my god that sounds just like it <laughs> vibrato is so man i just watched george lynch play the other night <gasps> that guy is one of he's just I, he's a rock and roll treasure he's he, when he just cuts loose, first of all, he's got that danger factor when he play like he's on stage, like he's kinda like he's goofing around, like he's not just going through the motions of what has been rehearsed or anything. like he's you don't never know what he's gonna play or he's kinda doing he's like messing around between songs, he gets his bands try shit that they weren't ready to try. <laughs> so let's do some of this. Like he's got that thing, man, and he's loose. 
and then he's always had that and then just the vibrato alone not to mention the way he throws an extra you know technique but it's all so soulful and bluesy and the pinch harmonics and everything but just the that Uh, uh, (laughs) you know like uh, wide ass rock hard rock metal vibrato it's like crazy well like you know the hunter solo from the the docket album it's like my favorite part of that was like like he would hold these notes whatever and um that used to be my favorite part. It was just like this gorgeous, and he would let the vibrato at the per, the, the perfect time. And I always felt that way about Warren Demartini too. Yeah, I just felt like like you know his solos were their solos were part of the songs, right? So like um, a rat song would be cool, but the solo would come up, and he'd introduce it with this great sound and this great little melody. And yeah, those guys can shred, uh, and I yeah. love that. But that's not why I love them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because like um, being around Berkeley, I, I see, I hear eighteen, nineteen year olds copy Guthrie Govan and Ingve to a T. They don't really have the same feel, but um, so that's not what makes Ingve great to me. It's his feel and his. I, I, th- I like the records. I think this. I never wanted to play like Ingve, but I love that he exists because I like buying the records and I love listening to them. And um, it can't be everyone. I just have to be myself. Who's going to be that guy? I guess amazing. Oh, yeah. If you can find yourself, yeah, that's what it's all about. <laughs> that's it. That's why you started, is because you love it. You're Tap right. into that love. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. So this is a very prestigious thing that you, this title that you have. I guess you're a professor of guitar or what, at Berkeley? Um, uh, assistant professor. Amazing. So it's, it's not, it doesn't mean I'm an assistant to a professor. It's like how they rank. Right. Yeah. So then you move up to pre- full full professor um 20 years that's awesome you must have uh, learned a lot about teaching first of all i got to give massive props to gretchen men and neely brosh who are probably the two people that introduced me to you oh and have, wow have raved about you that's so sweet lot. i love them i've met other students that have been yours at berkeley too and so many students are doing great stuff moving to you know, nashville or whatever or la what do you find yourself teaching a lot? Like, how has your approach to teaching changed after having done it for 20 years? Like, say you're doing your private lesson with a student one-on-one. Right. That's an amazing question. I think about it. It's changed a lot, actually. When I first got into teaching at Berkeley, it was a lot of... Um, I kind of taught everything the same. Like, this is how you get the scales on the fretboard. This is some interesting harmonic concepts or whatever. And what I found is I, I started having a niche. So, actually, a lot of the students that come to me... There's this amazing metal shred guy, Joe Stump, who teaches at Berkeley. And he, yeah. I love the guy. He's, he's the coolest dude ever. But he's like, you know, he's like the European metal guy. And so I get a lot of, we have a lot of students in common. And what happens is um, they study with him and they, they come, they show up shredding stuff that I could never do. But they want to know about uh, improvisation. And improvisation isn't, uh, stylistically a jazz thing right so I have like metal people that I go over uh, concepts it's very conceptual how I teach now so it's like everybody's yeah. different so one student leaves and the next person comes and I have a whole new approach with them sometimes it's up in your mind like I had a student yeah. um, that's a great player but he is so in it he was so in his own way mentally and we actually ended up doing a semester and we barely played guitar um, because there's so- certain things you can't practice through like, I used to try that. Like, oh, I can't play on whatever, this Wayne Shorter tune. And I'm just going to do it eight hours a day till it happens. Well, as much as I practiced, I, it just never sounded good on it. My problem wasn't that I was just putting the hours in. My problem was I was anxious about it. I had low self-esteem. 
there was a lot of mental clutter in the way. I've done some vlogs on YouTube about that stuff, and I think I'm going to do more writing this summer about it. Cool. About? About kind of your state of mind. You know, I, I got back into studying philosophy big time, like the Stoics and the existentialists and even Aristotle and stuff, and I have a mentor named Greg Sadler. And that's, you know, it's like ancient philosophy stuff, but it's kind of helped me organize my thinking about, you know, everything from how emotions work, like how anger works, or... Um, kind of goals or un clearly understanding what my goal is because I don't think I did like I wanted to be a rock star right didn't we all and uh, then I wanted to be like the next Steve Lukather well I still would like to be like next <laughs> Steve Lukather because he's kind of the man he's one of my heroes but um, but, like, that, yeah. <laughs> but like you know him and Mike Landau were on all these records that we loved and they were playing the most killing stuff and so you know that stuff doesn't always pan out because it's a different time now and it's you know the scenes are different so that's helped me organize stuff and I think that's what I'm offering a lot of my students and like my Skype students is like, I'll work on stuff, but I, I'm the one thing I'm good at. And I never, I never studied how to teach, but the one thing that I guess I'm good at is when I get in a room with someone and start talking to them and we'll start playing with them, I know exactly what to do next with them and how to do it. I think that's the experience that I got being there. And, um, I've definitely gotten better at that. I feel like really good about it now. Like I, I hope I'm helping people. And some of them, like some of them that move out to LA or Nashville, they still do Skype lessons with me and they're like amazing. They're doing some stuff that I couldn't do, right? They would go off on this like ma major country thing. You know, yeah. they, they come back to me for like conceptual stuff. Like, um, well, what if I wanted to take what I'm doing and have new improvisational ideas and um, I can work with that. So I don't have to be able to like, you know, I can't metal shred. I I love those people, but I can help them think about how they're going to improvise and be a, a personal musician. That's killer. So. What's so you? If someone wants to check out more of these postings, vlogs, or your these, if you're hipping people to different philosophy stuff, or if they're even interested in Skype lessons what's the best way or some ways to contact you or follow you on social media? Um, I'm on Instagram, just Scott Cerulli. I think I'm the only one. Um, uh, yeah, I, Facebook's totally cool. I, most of the requests I get are from Facebook messages. I have a, a, a music page and a personal yeah. page. So the, the music page is totally cool to do that. I do have Twitter, but I'm really bad at it. Gotcha. <laughs> but um, I have a website, scottterulli.com. That's Scott Terulli, folks. Scott with two Ts. Second T is silent. Scott. <laughs> That's a Matt Blackett joke. And then Terulli, T-A-R-U-L-L-I. Com. Yeah, and you can email me through that site. I get a lot of people just taking, you know, like a few lessons here and there. Or some people that kind of stay st steady with it. And I actually enjoy it now because a lot of the people that I get coming to me are already really great players. So I get to kind of work um, with them, you know, personally yeah. and um, show them new stuff. It's like... You know, I like kind of sharing how I think about stuff. I don't know if it's how I think about stuff is how I think about stuff. And you might think of it totally different. That doesn't matter. Like I, I had a student once really wanted to get into some of those sounds. We were doing melodic minor and stuff. Yeah. And um, so he couldn't learn the melodic minor shapes. And I said, well, like, you know, look at it like this. Look at it like this. He couldn't get it. One day he came in like had them all. And I said, how do you do it? He goes, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to like hate me. So he based I everything. I want to know this now. Now, when you say all, <laughs> did he have like all seven of them? or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So How'd like you, you base them off every chord. So and then like what I try to do is um like like you, you do them in different octaves. Yeah. Um so any way to help and then eventually when you start using it you they just bleed together and it's one your fretboard's one key. One as they big say. scale pattern, yeah. So he said he really did everything to the box. Like he took and saw the different notes that the melodic minor shape would do and it worked for him and yeah. he was like and he said you know, I, I, I didn't want to tell you that. I go, why? 
you don't there's you don't have to look at the guitar any way but your own like i don't have i have ways i could suggest but you know i probably don't hold the pick right i probably don't i probably do a lot of things wrong but it works for me and you know you need to find what works for you like i would never criticize unless i see somebody doing something damaging like they're gonna hurt their shoulder but yeah i'm i'm not primarily an educator so he said that he took the pentatonic shape and then related it probably like this note's in that shape this note's not in that shape exactly yeah you're exactly and um i said well why is that bad because unless you announce that at a gig nobody would know now i have a question for you about one of the modes of the melodic minor scale okay dominant yes which for me you know i always would use that like if you're an a minor and then say it goes to the six seven nice which would be a F dominant seven, or in this case is a F nine. Fine. So then F Lydian dominant, and I know some listeners might know this, others might not know, but that would be a Lydian scale with a flat seven. Correct? Yes. I think of that as also in this case, I just think of it as an A Aeolian natural minor scale, but with the five flatted. Which is, which goes over that F chord. Yeah, and that. But I just like, where else do people use this scale? And then I'm talking to Dean Brown. Oh and God, saying, yeah, Dean's awesome. Yeah, he's saying no. People use the Lydian dominant all the time over the one chord, so they'll just actually do over the like when they're yeah. playing bebop. Oh God, that, yeah. Show me how you might use. Well, let me put it this way. Yeah. So, like, let me just how I think of it. Yeah. If you know the chords that are... So, you know, in a major scale, if we take C major, C major, D minor, you know, uh, yeah. and then we have G7, but F major 7. So, you, if, you know the, if you know the chords that are in melodic minor, that will answer any question you have. So, um, C melodic minor, C minor major 7, um, D7 sus4 flat 9. Um, let's do this one. I like this one. Uh, e flat major seven sharp five, F seven flat five sharp eleven. So you're harmonizing the scale. Exactly. G seven sharp five. And seven chords. Uh, A minor seven flat five. B seven yeah. altered sharp nine flat nine. So if you know that, there, if you think about, it, there's four dominant chords in that. So the uh, the the right. two chord, the four chord, the five chord, and the seventh chord are all dominant. So right. your thing about, and this is what I was talking about earlier about. Yeah. Um, how I think about tonal center. So this is an A7. I think that was your example. Sure, sure. A7. So not the typical bebop key that he was talking about, but yeah, totally A7 for now. For guitar <laughs> players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So basically, since it's a dominant seventh in 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 a major pitch set, the only thing available to that is a five chord. So D major, right? Right. Um, but here in melodic minor it could be the two in G melodic minor, right? So right. It could be the four. The four chord in E. Yeah. It could be the uh, five chord in D. Then it could be the seven chord in B uh, B flat. So do I want to... The way I think about it, I don't know if other people do. If I want this A7 to have a seven sharp five sound, I'm going to use D melodic minor or the arpeggios and triads associated with that. Now that's how I would explain it. How I play it now, I don't think about it. See, this is awesome because when I was texting with you yesterday when we had decided to do the spontaneous podcast, I'm like, cool, I'm going to get my guitar lesson. <laughs> and I'm not, I wasn't lying. I'm getting my fucking guitar lesson right now. 
So this is cool. I, I haven't really dived in as much as I want, so I'm literally using this interview to learn a little bit more about the melodic minor scale. You're saying it produces four different dominant chords? Yeah, so that's if you want so cool. melodic minor gives you four, and my favorite <clears throat> is se- seven sus four flat nine, and that's a joke actually Neely Brosh and I have. I was She was like very interested in that stuff years ago, and she's doing great with it now, but... um. I played that. She goes, I don't like that one. I go, that's my favorite one. So we used to have this joke. She goes, I don't like that voicing. So we have this like seven Wait, so sus what's four. What's the name fl- of the okay. Seven sus four flat nine, and she loves it now. But like we we had so many jokes, and that was like we, we were like had music humor jokes. Like I don't like yeah. that one, but that's my favorite one. It's kind of a dark sounding one. So if you play A, just A seven. Um, what I'm doing is using G melodic minor. So. Nice. So just play, yeah, put, play an A in the bass. So it's kind of dark yeah. to me, right? It's like so we got the flat nine, the sus four. Great. It's just yeah. So a lot of times you'll hear me um, say what there's just like a. So it's, if it's a trio, so somebody might go. Which is great. I might come in with this. So what I'm doing is I'm playing the chords above it in the melodic minor. So if that's so G melodic minor, so uh, G yeah. minor major seven, even just this block chord, because that's the one chord in G melodic minor. So that A is functioning as a two. Now if I wanted to function. Um, E there's your Lydian dominant yeah so I use like, I, I'm so jealous of keyboard players so they, <laughs> they can set up anything one like if you listen to McCoy Tyner on like Time for Tyner you know one chord vamps but he'll set up a chord in his left hand and then he'll play over that chord and, yeah and so that yeah it goes back to the question where I, I really just got it from those guys and then I th- I don't claim to know what they were doing really but uh, they helped me come up with kind of my own way to look at it i don't i don't know i hope, I hope it's helpful yeah. but that's like, very dude that's incredibly helpful and my first homework assignment i would say would be to learn how to harmonize the melodic minor scale up in all seven chords going up through all seven pitches and be careful because they say like the two chords are minor seven but a lot of times whatever chord it is play every note against it from the scale to see if there's like an altered note in it because that doesn't always come out if you just stack the thirds all right um i'm gonna be finding you on social media myself and emailing you (laughs) for some skype lessons shit but i love combining it with the rock stuff and a lot of times i won't use the stuff at all unless i hear it yeah um you know, it's like this whole thing. Like, if I'm hired, if I'm a hired gun for somebody, I'm going to play exactly what it's needed and oh, love yeah. it, right? Um, I'll cop the solos. But, you know, sometimes people hire me to play something like on a blues game. They're like, do whatever you want. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> because, like, you know, I want to, you know, break barriers. I don't want the bar line to be the same. I, I just want to play what I'm breathing. It's I kind of a yoga it. thing. I don't know. It's, I get very I conceptual. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, go and like, like, uh, play what you're breathing? Like, well, yeah, so everybody should test it. Like, the no matter what style you play, you should always practice on a blues. Because if you've ever had a... Like, I used to have blues gigs. It was a big thing in the Boston, the mid, in Boston in the mid-90s. And I used to do four sets, and by the second set, I did not want to play another blues shuffle. Like, I didn't. For me, it was because I was so repetitive. Like, I used my three licks, and I play them the same way. And so I start... Like, I just put one up on social media like me playing over a f blues and um 
I I liked it. I mean, I didn't get many likes because it didn't sound like a blues. But for me, I liked it because I was just kind of like, this goes here now. And it's like I'm kind of singing it in my head. And yeah. That's really cool, though. Um, I want to hear some of that blues. Oh, God. You think, oh. I think we could push uh, some stuff around a little bit today let's try you know what i might fa- i might fail but like <laughs> let me this is what i this is what we're yeah. I, i'm saying not to be afraid of so what i'm going to do is i'm going to like i'm going to abandon my me going i mean i might do some of that but yeah i could you and i could play blues and do it so um i don't know do you know like a Three six two five kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. We'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. you pushing the bar lines for sure and then of course doing all the cool harmony stuff yeah yeah so it's like i, I try to just hear it and where is this going to go next and you know something that i've learned as a player like i was the most repressed repressed guitarist in, in in my 20s because i was afraid to do anything yeah. unless it was going to work so um if i if i improvise on a blues 
I was so afraid of failing. So like you're on tour and you know, you, this is before the internet too. So now like we have big fears. So right. like whatever I played there, people might hate it. But like I've come to the point in my life where that's fine. You know, there's how many guitarists, like I always say to people, like when I get criticism, like the YouTube trolls, I usually say, Hey, like there's 10,000 amazing guitarists in Boston. Go listen to them. Like, don't right. waste your time with me. But like, yeah, I just kind of feel like now the last few years, like just personal growth, I think I wasn't afraid to do that with you. Cause I, you know, even if I like, fell on my face, we'd laugh about it. Right. Man, yeah. You're pushing it <laughs> out. You know, like I could, what I could really feel too, is that like, if you're really on a gig and some cats playing and really going for it by the third or fourth song, you guys would really be pushing it out and it'd be really exciting. Well, that's a good thing that you say. Cause yeah, I think how I play, I don't know how you feel. Like if you're in an improv session, the people on stage with you, when it's your solo quote, it's not your solo, it's the band solo. So like I connect well with drummers cause I'm very into rhythm. So a drummer yeah. could push me into a whole different direction. So some drummers, I, I feel kind of like they're really, they could be great drummers, but I'm like, oh, I didn't really play well, but some drummers know how to push me. Um, so it's kind of like improvisation is a group effort, you know, even with the bass player, I don't want to play on my voicings. I want to support yeah. what they're doing. Um, or the drummers sometimes like ostinatos to solo over or amazing. So. You play slide too, right? Oh, or, just a little. Well, did you play slide on any time, anywhere title track guitar or it's a solo oh, in there. That in, sounds so weird. I can, you, can't talk about. So that's my favorite song on the album. It's called yeah, so um, One Year. That's not me. That's Dave, uh, uh, that was a that that's um, Dave Tronzo. Is is it a slide guitar part? Because I I was looking up the credits online, but I, I didn't know if I could if I had found the correct credits, and I wasn't sure if there was two guitar players on there. So that was a so the song's One Year. It's a gospely ballad, like yeah. that six eight, right? That was tracked completely live. Dave Tronzo teaches at Berkeley, but he he's the guy that like got the John Hyatt gig replacing Ry Cooter. And uh, Dave is one of the most fearless musicians. I mean, everything he plays is everything. Every time he picks up the guitar, he plays something new. And I strive to be this guy. And um, I hang with him when I can. But I said, hey, like I want to get you on my record. I love the sounds you make. And um, so he comes in. <laughs> And we're just sitting there and I have a chart for the bass player and stuff. And like, we had played it and he goes, what key is this? And I go, A. He goes, all right. We, we played two takes of it. I think we kept the first one is what's on the album. It's nothing's doctored. And like the slide on that is so haunting. It's not, there's no cliches on it. mentioned maybe it's this piece that i'm looking at i'm looking at a giant score on scott's music stand here folks there's if someone handed me that i would be like this lifetime you want me to play that this lifetime 
And it's got all these colored highlighted marks and circled notes and a lot of golf clubs on fences, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> what, what am I looking at here? That is a piece called Neo by Dai Fujikari, who's a Japanese composer, lives in London. Um, it's a it's a piece written for shamisen, which is a three string Japanese instrument, and it's on his last album. He's like he's a Sony composer, um, Sony Japan, and I had been talking to him about learning different techniques about four part writing because his four part writing is yeah. like out of this world. I don't know how he does it, and he saw some of my videos and he said, "I'm going to send you a score." Um, I would love an electric guitar version of this tune. And I had bought his last album. And I said, I know the tune. Are you crazy? Like, that's like, it's eight and a half minutes of solo. And um, he sent it to me. And the marks you see are me making notes. I don't know if anybody else has that to their score. I have like different colored highlighters and circling things. Um, like, what does green mean when you've highlighted these? These are all the same note. They look like Fs, F sharps, maybe. Then they're all highlighted green. What the heck? Um you know sometimes like if you look at the beginning section there's a beginning section it looks like it's completely repetitive but it's not and it's really no rhyme or reason it doesn't repeat itself so like if there's an open note it's i, I associate it with like the orange is like the open c sharp uh-huh. uh, that section so i do because it by you have the capo yeah so i have, have a capo o- on so the whole time c sharp yeah. is open gotcha right so um and then there's things that like it's you know change time signatures constantly and what i do is i try to memorize them as groups rather than i don't count anything this it's, is just murder man i'm looking at like five bars of just quintuplets in a row yeah i wish i could play some of it for you now but i i don't i don't feel confident <laughs> i don't feel confident so because i have it in sections right now and i could probably play it like warmed up like a little slower than tempo but the the um the the thing with this is I'm going to present it. He wants effects and everything. I mean, he's like a very modern composer. He calls it new music. Like he, w- he doesn't like you saying he's a classical composer, but, um, but he writes for orchestra. And he said like, yeah, like I said, what do you want me to do? Like, should I do the Shamison one's already done. And I said, well, you know, I can like, I can add chorus. I can add delays. And I was kind of kidding. He goes, yeah, all of that distortion. So he's really like, and it, it, this is another thing about courage. Like, you know, I'm like for me to just like hit on the delay during this is like, am I allowed to do this? You know, he's saying you can do anything you want. So I've been really working on it. You know, I've been at it for a few months. It is. It's a really difficult piece. Well, by all means, let us know when it's done and I will post anything you have on it on No Guitar Safe Facebook page, on Twitter, on my Twitter, which is Jude underscore gold. That'd be amazing. You're yeah, gonna, you're going to release it as a Scott Truly piece. I mean, as a release, I'm going to re- release it and. Um, what's supposed to happen is that's supposed to be on the next Sony record that Die does. Wow. So, but like, I, you know, who knows in this business? Oh, you never know. Yeah, you never know. But like, that's you know, a vote of confidence that he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, you know, it comes down to if he likes what I do with it. So, but like, if nothing else, I'm going to, he said it's cool if I use this. Um, but that will definitely be on my next record or somebody's record. <laughs> now, you were telling me about another crazy gig that you did. If I got this correctly, you're performing with a killer dance ensemble and you were the only you were the one man orchestra basically a friend of mine from high school Catherine Hooper which I haven't seen in years called me out of nowhere and said you want to do a collaboration I didn't know what that meant she didn't either so I show up um, with my electric guitar and some effects and she said we're going to write a show and I said just me she goes I guess so basically it's you know the process was it was an eight-month process the outcome of it was me on stage 
playing an hour and there was all these pieces like a duo piece a trio of dancers and i learned a ton about time because you know instead of responding to sound i was responding to sight and every dancer had their own tendencies and um so that's like that blues that i put up online that's as a result of playing with dancers but um it was basically an an hour of me playing and it's every piece has a, a, a an improv section where it's never the same and then we have the parts that are the same the beginning and the end but um that's basoma dance company they're in the north shore of, of massachusetts and um i want to do more of this it's it's like oh, something so i've cool. never done and another thing with the courage like i would if you asked me 10 years ago i would have been too scared to do it dude you're really inspiring me today i gotta say scott like coming <laughs> over here today the takeaway for me as another guitar player is just like two things one try some shit that you're not normally used to doing and two have the courage to try some shit that might sound crazy or might fail or might result in some very strange sounds or very strange sensations for you when you're playing it and I, yeah just yeah and i think it, it yeah i think um, as far as I got over, as, as soon as I got over, everybody's not going to like me or how I play. As soon as I let go of, because I used they used to really hurt me. Like people would like you know early on in the YouTube days, I would put something up and you know I get trolls and I used to really ruin my week. You know now it's like well God, there's so many amazing players that I love, and you know what, my favorite players would never say that stuff to me, right? Like you know like. I don't think Andy Timmons would ever come in and say, Scott, you suck. That was just horrible what you played. Like, he's not like that. He gets how it is to... And you don't suck. I mean, well, anyone who writes that, <laughs> is, they're just bored and living in the, their troll basement. Well, that's it. And I just feel like um, I'm never going to find myself unless I try to. And, you know, if people have a problem with that, sorry. I mean, I can always go yeah. back to playing it safe and sounding fine on a gig like i could do that right now but like you know i can't believe i took a risk on your show with that blues um i don't know even if that, if that was any good but i just you know if anybody hears it and doesn't like it they can email me <laughs> <laughs> it sounded great man thanks for doing the show today oh my god thanks for so much for having me i'm a fan so cool sky man i had a just killer time up here in the in the guitar cave so you can't play a little bit of that, I guess, because you don't have the, well, the I had like for it. But I was going to dance here and see how you interpreted my dance musically. I was going to. It's interesting that you said. Slippers. Like, it's interesting <laughs> that you asked because, like, I thought about putting it out as an as a recording, like the show without the dancers. But I don't know if it exists without the motion. I haven't yeah, figured that it out. Translate, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it does. Maybe you're I'll saying put it that a big part of the dance performance is the dancers. I get you. I get you <laughs> on that. But the music was everything I played. The improv was is it yeah. was inspired by each dancer when they're improvising, and every night it was very different. Like um, they push themselves to do different stuff because they have their repertoire, cool. the vocabulary, like I do. We, we go. Like every guitar player yeah. knows what that stuff is, right? Oh yeah. But like, so like they had their licks, but they had to step outside of that and I had to push them and they had to push me. So I don't, yeah, yeah. everyone's got their repertoire. Totally. Comedians, dancers, skateboarders. I know. And how are you going to push it? And you know what? There's no right answer. Like, you know, figure it out. I think, yeah. you know, I think a lot of it has to do with in internal, like uh, and some people have it. Some people are born with it. Like I see people, if you look at Wayne Krantz, that guy's like reinvented the wheel and He's such a mellow, cool guy. I mean, I know him a little bit just because he's an East Coast player, but he's um, 
What he does takes guts. I mean, he's out with Jimmy Heron and Mike Landau, but yeah. Krantz can shred fusion stuff, but he doesn't want to do that anymore. So he chooses every note carefully. Now he's on stage with these amazing players and he's bold enough to go, no, these three notes is, is all I'm hearing. Cause he's playing for an audience that might go Landau buried him, but you know what I mean? Oh yeah. He's an interesting cat. Man. He's an interesting. Yeah. And see so, him in New York. is just amazing. You can walk down the street. And I, I think, Wayne Krantz. I think my thing is going to be, my real test is getting on stage with other guitar players that I respect and seeing if I can do the blues thing and not use my tricks while they're sounding amazing doing their thing. Well, the second I get the courage to do I don't think I could. I will always fall back into I need to step it up. I just do your thing, man. To take it back to <laughs> Nile Rogers, I read an interview with him once where he was playing like at Montreux or something, huge thing, all these great guitar players and other people all taking their big solos. And he was like, I got to take a big solo too. It's my turn. I got to step on a pedal. I got to... And then he's like, in the heat of the moment, he thought, you know what? I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to take a funk solo. And he took some, some kind of funk blues solo. That was like his solo. I, I don't know what he played, but he was right. discussing it. And he I, did, and it went over. I heard, I, I did hear that story because he says he practices <clears throat> that stuff all the time. Like yeah. he says, he, I'm sure he could throw down. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I think he, he said he, the people were there here, nah, Roger solo. Yeah, they want to hear some... I want to hear the skank. <laughs> right on, Scott. I got to head over to the sound check, man. Otherwise, awesome. It's probably good that we have something to cut this off. Otherwise, I'd keep you here all day. And you got a gig tonight yourself. I do. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Thanks for having me over. Thanks for having me on the show. This is a blast, man. Thank you. All right. No guitar is safe.